Welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. It's uh, really great that you are taking the time to listen to this. And I pray that it is a blessing and pray that it is instructive and pray that it is encouraging to you. It's always good to look into the Word of God, isn't it? Um, I want to encourage you to go to our website and download the newsletter there from gracewayokc.org. And uh, as you do that, you can pray for one another. You can keep up with things that are going on in the church. And uh, we've got some people that are really sick right now with COVID. And so uh, we want you to be able to pray for them and to minister to them, as well as be involved in other things that are going on in the church, other activities. And uh, you can pray for all of us who are leading those things. Um, it's always good. And by the way, thank you to all of you who volunteer and lead programs in our church. You're a great, great blessing and encouragement to us. And I would appreciate your prayers as well. I was uh, talking to my cardiologist the other day. And um, when I first found out I had heart failure, there's a, a, a BNP measurement in the blood that uh, shows the markers for heart failure. And the first time I had that done, it was 1,200. Normal is 100 or less, so that's significant. My cardiologist told me the other day that when I was put into the hospital, that BMP was over 3,700. And uh, I had no idea that it was that bad. And uh, so, that's, that's why things really went south, and I was in trouble, and so I'm grateful that I went to the hospital, and, you know, at that point I was bad enough I didn't fight them on it, and uh, certainly has helped, as you can tell, and so uh, that's why they were concerned. Now, a little bit of good news. He also told me that uh, from 3,700 as a high, or over that actually, I'm now down to uh, like 1524. So it's more than cut in half. We're heading in the right direction. Uh, still bad, still bad, but uh, much better than it really was. And so he's pleased. And uh, he made the statement. He said, uh, I don't ever want to discount the fact that even though I helped you, that this was the work of the Lord. And I appreciate a doctor like that, don't you? So um, anyway, that's kind of the update on my health. And we're just trying to get better. I walked about a half a mile the other day without any problem. And uh, they just tell me they don't want me alone when I do something like that. And uh, I start cardiac rehab on April 20th. And they will, you know, uh, have me do more exercise and stress myself a little bit more. Uh, while it's monitored. Right now, they don't want me doing anything like that, of course, on my own. So thank you for your prayers. We appreciate it. And uh, that will give you just a little bit of an idea of what's going on in my life. Well, we've been looking uh, in Psalm 6. And I want to read the whole psalm, and we'll focus in on verses 4 through 7. And those of you who were here last week, will remember this. O oh Lord, David says, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. 
Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also, also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, and deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. That means he's tossing and turning. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Then he gets really bold. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the words of my weeping, or the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication, and the Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed. Now we're going to focus in on, uh, be ashamed suddenly, sorry. We're going to focus in on four through seven, and we're going to talk about what unconfessed sin does. How do we know this is about unconfessed sin? Did you read there in verse one where David talks about rebuke and discipline and those type of words? God doesn't rebuke or discipline his children just because he feels like it. He does it because we're wrong. He does it because we have sinned. And he does it in order that he might correct us and correct our ways and correct our walk and draw us back to him. It's not simply that God is mad and he's going to vent on us. He's not an abusive parent, not an abusive father. He makes clear what he is doing, that we're under chastisement. He does it out of love. Read Hebrews chapter 12. And the Bible also says if we don't receive his discipline, it's because we are not really his children. We're illegitimate, um, is what the book of Hebrews says. So think about 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, what if we don't confess our sins? What if we never get to the point of agreeing with God about our sin and about its wickedness and about its severity. Well, God has ways, doesn't he? He's a good parent. He knows what motivates us. He knows what doesn't motivate us. And we're all different. And as God deals with us, as a good father, knowing his children, he deals with us sometimes in different ways. You know, uh, my brother and I were really, really different when we were kids. I hated having my parents being displeased with me, and I hated being spanked. With my brother, I don't know what was wrong with him, but uh, he didn't care. He didn't care. In fact, I remember him uh, saying one time when my mom got on to him and told him there was something he couldn't do, and uh, he said, I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care what you say. 
She said, well, you know what will happen. And he said, you don't understand. It'll be worth it if I can do it just once. And I'm watching him thinking, you don't tell him. My goodness, what are you doing? Uh, I like to fly under the radar and, uh, you know, do it. But um, he didn't. He was pretty bold. He was probably, when you think about it, a uh, better person than I was because he was honest. I wasn't. And um, my parents could motivate me to do right, to correct what was wrong in a different way than motivated him, obviously, right? And the Lord is a good father. The Lord knows what we're going to do before we do it. And he also knows what consequences he's going to bring into our lives because of that. The Bible says God is not mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. And some of us, I, you know, I don't want to be ugly or anything, but we just act like morons sometimes. We keep sowing the same seed in the same place and hoping for a different result. That's just called crazy. And so the Lord not only lets us reap what we sow, which sometimes, to be honest, does correct us, doesn't it? We get consequences and we go, oh, I don't like that. And so we change our ways. But other times we don't. Other times we hold on. We go, I'm going to make this work and I'm going to do what I want to do and it'll be okay. And so God brings divine discipline into our lives. So this is what's happening with David. And notice uh, as John MacArthur observes in his study Bible on these verses, David is not saying, take away the judgment. He knows that he deserves the judgment. Now, we don't know what he did. This is not like his affair with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. That's Psalm 32. Okay? But they're very similar in the effects that they seem to have upon him. Whatever it is that David has done, is doing, and refuses to forsake, is having consequences on his life. So let's look at it like this. Number one, unconfessed sin makes God feel distant. He says in verse 4, Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me, for your mercy's sake. Now, return, O Lord. Where did God go? Does God do that? Does God leave? What was going on? Well, first of all, we need to think about something. God is a spirit, and he is omnipresent. You know what that means? He's everywhere. Everywhere. In fact, in another psalm, David said, where can I go from your spirit? And whether I go high or whether I go down into the grave, you're there. That's because God is everywhere. So when David says, return, O Lord, what happened? Was God in China? Was God somewhere else? What, what was going on? No, it's not that God ceased to be omnipresent. God was still there. And God was working on David. God was dealing with David. But David couldn't see it 
or probably more, he couldn't feel it. And sometimes God feels distant. Sometimes God seems like he is a million miles away dealing with other people, dealing with other situations, and we're just kind of left in the cold. And in this case, it was because David had sin in his life, sin that he refused to confess, to agree with God, and sin that he would not forsake. He was holding on to it. He was stubborn like we all are. He was going to do it. But think about this. God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. But he never promised that he would not withdraw the sense of his presence, did he? And whenever we feel like we are distant from God, or more so, God is distant from us, that's a red flag that the Holy Spirit uses to get us to examine our lives. Are we right with God? Are we living in sin? Are we refusing to confess our sin? Do we even care about our sin? There are those times when even a believer can get involved in sin and he enjoys it so much because the book of Hebrews says that it brings pleasure for a season. For a season. That means it's temporary. The pleasures of sin don't last very long. And you reap what you sow. And um, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end are the ways of destruction. I mean, we all know these things. And we tell our children these things. And we try to correct other people with these same things that we have a tendency to uh, violate. And so unconfessed sin makes God seem distant even when he is not. He lives in you and he's not going to quit doing that. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so God is always with you in that regard. Not only that, everywhere you go, you run into God. Ask Jonah how getting on a ship to uh, Tarshish and running away from God and the call of God, how'd that work? Because he found out that God was everywhere he went. And so when you think that God is gone or God is distant, or you hear songs that talk about, I cried out to God and then God came running and here he was. That's not true. God is always with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you, even when you're wrong and even when you are walking in the flesh. But he sure feels distant, okay? Number two, unconfessed sin can bring premature death. Notice that um, David is, in verse 5, he's kind of preoccupied with death. For in death... There is no remembrance of you in the grave who will give you thanks. Now, David's not so much talking about he doesn't believe in heaven or eternal life because we know that when we leave this body, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And what are we going to do when we're present with the Lord in heaven? We're going to worship like we have never worshiped before. We're going to praise him. We're going to give thanks to him. I mean, it's going to be an incredible thing when we are liberated from the straitjacket of human flesh and our spirit is really free to worship God as he deserves to be worshiped. And we'll worship him with the right motives and in the right way. We'll worship him perfectly. We can't do it down here. 
but we can do it when we get to heaven. So is David denying eternal life? I mean, uh, those words, they're a little bit bothersome. For in death, there is no remembrance of you. What in the world is he talking about? The grave, in the grave, who will give you thanks? Well, let's think a little bit about that. Let's go over here. There's a cemetery not far from the church, Rest Haven Cemetery. And uh, let's go out there for a minute and let's go to uh, the place, the part of the cemetery where there are the most graves. And let's go out there and let's just sit down and let's be quiet. Let's listen. Let's be still. And will any one of those people that are buried out there, will you hear them singing? Will you hear them praying? Will you hear them giving thanks to the Lord? Now, if they're believers, they're doing that in heaven, but they're not doing that in the grave, are they? They're not doing that. They're not down there in their casket singing praises to the Lord. That's what David is talking about. David is saying that if I die, if you kill me, Lord, then how in the world will I testify of you in the temple or the tabernacle? How will I testify of you in the palace? How will I testify of you before my children? How will I testify of you in the festivals and the feasts? Because dead people don't take the Passover. Dead people don't go to worship services, right? And he's talking about the physical grave. And he said that none of that is going to happen. So, Lord, if you were to take my life because of my sin, which God has the right to do, then David is kind of bargaining with God. Then you're taking away my ability to write another psalm to sing with my harp. You're taking away my ability to lead the nation in worship because none of that happens when you are in the grave. And we talk about people that have gone on to uh, be with the Lord, that they have been silenced here on earth. And we would love to hear their voice. We would love to hear them teach a Sunday school lesson, or preach a sermon. Think about people you know that have gone on. And they're worshiping in heaven, but nothing like that is happening here on earth, except maybe through something that they've written or a recording or something like that, of course. But uh, it's not happening in the casket. It's not happening at the cemetery. They have been silenced and their voice has been stilled. First John chapter 5 Verse 16 and 17 talks a little bit about this. Is there a sin unto death? Well, answer it yourself. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, well, that kind of implies then that there is one that does lead to death, right? He shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. Okay, now he said it. He's not just hinting, is he? There is sin that leads to death. 
I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. In other words, all wrongdoing is worthy of death. But God in his mercy and his grace, he doesn't kill us every time we think a bad thought or every time we say something inappropriate or anything like that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now that's amazing because we think about God in his power, in his holiness, hating all sin. We hate some sin. There are other sins we sort of like. There are some sins that we would do if we thought we could get away with it. And there are some sins that we uh, are involved in. And we just think if we keep it hidden from people, as long as a pastor doesn't see us, as long as deacons don't see us, as long as a Sunday school teacher doesn't see us, as long as church people don't see us, well, then we think that we're okay. Well, the problem is God sees and even the darkness, the Bible says, is light to him. Nothing can be hidden from his eyes. And when David said in Psalm 51, against thee and thee only have I sinned, he wasn't saying that he didn't sin against Bathsheba or really sin against Uriah the Hittite, whom he had murdered. He was just simply saying that it wouldn't be sin unless we violated your will and your laws. David had violated the commandment that said, thou shalt not commit adultery with Bathsheba. And he did that when he was walking on his palace roof and he saw her and he lusted in his heart after her. He committed adultery in his heart long before he did the physical act. And then when he tried to cover up the fact that she was pregnant, um, it's interesting today we uh, send people to the abortion clinic to cover up that fact. I'll guarantee you there are a lot of people that have had abortions that you don't even know about because they haven't told you and you may not think anything about it. Why? Because they've covered up their sin by murdering a baby. In this case, David didn't murder the baby. He murdered Bathsheba's husband. Uriah. He tried to cover it up in various ways, and finally he just said, put him out there on the front lines and let him be killed. And so he violated the commandment that said, thou shalt not kill. Now, when he was trying to get Uriah to go home and sleep with his wife, uh, he was violating the commandment that said, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And David, think about this, was going to sell out his own child, his own baby, to cover up his sin. And so uh, all of this tells us about human nature and how we want to try to cover our sins. And like Adam and Eve covering themselves with fig leaves, it's always inadequate. And uh, all of it deserves the death penalty. The wages of sin is death. But the Bible says here in 1 John, there is a sin that does not lead to death. But he's already told us there is a sin that leads to death. So David must have been scared to death that he had committed that sin. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. All they did was appear to be something they were not. They appeared to they were saying that in appearance, we've sold the land. We're giving all the money to the church. 
The truth was they had kept back some, which they had every right to do. The problem was they had lied about it, and they lied to God and lied to the church. That's in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. That's uh, an example of sin unto death. And it wasn't much, and it doesn't seem all that bad to us, does it? But it was to God. And think about the Lord's Supper warning in 1 Corinthians 11.30, that if you misuse the Lord's Supper and you don't properly discern the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus, Paul said, for this reason, many are sick and weak, and even some have died. Uh, God takes the Lord's Supper a whole lot more serious than we do. Thirdly, unconfessed sin brings weariness. One of the things I've noticed about Christians that live carnally, they're always tired. Everything is dreary. Everything is a chore, especially worship. Hard to worship when you're not right with God. Hard to get excited about a sermon when you're not right with God. Hard to hear somebody else's testimony of the goodness and the greatness and the power and the provision of God when you're not right with God. In fact, you'll probably resent it. David said, I'm weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim and I drench my couch with my tears. You know, the Bible says in the book of Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is our strength. But the absence of that joy is tiredness and weakness. David even describes it, and it's very similar to Psalm 32. There's a lack of sleep. There's extreme sadness and depression. And do you remember the verse uh, previous to these, I believe, that talk about how it affected his bones? Unconfessed sin will even affect your health. And so David is experiencing all of these things. It's overwhelmed him. It has pressured him to the point that he's finally ready to get right with God. God will do the same for you and me because he loves us so much and he doesn't want us to be under the tyranny of sin, under the destruction of sin. He doesn't want us to be pawns and tools of the wicked one. He wants us to walk in freedom and he wants us to walk in victory and strength and joy and power and effectiveness and fruitfulness. Doesn't that sound good? Well, number four, unconfessed sin blinds you to all but the enemy. You know, your eye sees what it is trained to see. Have you ever bought that new car? And you thought that uh, when you got it, man, nobody has a car like this. And on the way home from the car dealership, you see five other ones just like it. Have you ever noticed that uh, when two people look at the same thing, maybe a car accident, they'll describe it in a little bit different way? The eye sees what it's trained to see. And David is saying here, my eye, in verse 7, waste away because of grief. I'm not seeing well anymore. I'm not seeing clearly anymore. It says it grows old. Any of you have old eyes? I'm putting on these reading glasses. You know why? I have presbyoptera. Presby is the word for elder. 
presbyteros in the Greek. And uh, optera is a word for eyes. You know what the eye doctor would tell me? You have old eyes. That's why you need reading glasses. They're not, the lenses are not like they used to be. And David is saying, I've grown old. I feel old. Even my eyesight is like somebody who is old because of all my enemies. Now, isn't it interesting that his vision and everything, his perception, let's call it that, is all messed up except for one thing. He sees the work of his enemies. There's a paranoia that David has. There is an obsession that he has with his enemies. A Christian should not be obsessed with the enemy. Aware? Yeah. We put on our armor. We understand that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But there are some believers that all they see are demons. All they can focus on is the work of the enemy. All they can see is the evidences of sin and flesh. It doesn't matter where it is, in church, in family, in government, all of that. All they see is the negative, the wrong, the sin. I wonder about those people. When do they ever thank God? And do they have anything to thank God for? Well, they do, of course, but they can't always see it. Is there anything positive going on in God's church, in God's kingdom? Yeah, there always is. But sometimes because of sin, the eyes get blurry, the eyes get old, and we just can't see it. Boy, David couldn't see God but he could see his enemy. David couldn't see God, but he could see his enemies. That is, my friend, a danger sign in your walk with God. So David is blurred. He is tired. He's seeing the negative. He's seeing the threats. He's seeing defeat. He's seeing death. He's seeing all of this and what does it lead him to? An extreme feeling of hopelessness. This is not a happy, these verses are not happy verses. These are not verses of the victorious Christian and the victorious Christian life. These verses are included in this psalm and in the eternal word of God to be a warning to those of us who have been born again and are living in sin that we refuse to confess. We try to make it right. We try to show everybody else that we're okay. There's nothing wrong with me. And yet the joy of the Lord is gone. Is that you? The only way to get it right, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Agree with God about that sin. He's right. He's always right. Get your mind lined up with him, your thoughts lined up with him. And you'll find that he is the most forgiving being in the universe because Christ paid for that sin. Don't waste the cleansing of the blood of Jesus by holding on to what you know is wrong. And don't just try to fake it because your righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. God wants to cleanse your heart. 
And he did that for David, and he'll do that for you. So as you think about these things, I would encourage you, don't put up your Bible too quickly. Meditate on what the verses have to say. Hopefully my commentary on it has helped you to understand it better, but my words are not the important words. The important words are found in the Scripture, the Word of God. And so I encourage you to take that, study it, meditate upon it, and may the Lord use them to encourage your soul and deliberate you from the devastating effects of unconfessed sin. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you this week. We'll see you on Sunday.